Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. We're starting a new series today called Final Words. So we ended last year with talking through John chapter 1 through John chapter 11, and this talked through the first three years of Jesus' ministry. But as we come to John chapter 12, there's a bit of a transition in the text because this is going to cover the last week of Jesus Christ here on this earth. And so these words that we're going to be looking at are his final words. Now, final words are incredibly powerful in every moment of life. Like, for example, if you're leaving your house, what are the final words? If you're married, what are the final words you say to your spouse? I love you. At least I hope that's what you say. You know, I mean, you could say a lot of things, I'm sure. I would hope you say, I love you. Maybe your final words before you go to bed every night, again, to your spouse, I hope is, good night. I love you. Something powerful about final words. What about the final words of your life? I think is especially, you know, not not everybody gets the uh, opportunity to have final words with their loved ones. You know, sometimes lives are taken without a notice and without a warning. And so for many, you don't get to choose your final words. But when you know the end is near, what would you say? Or who would you say it to? I would imagine you would probably say what matters most to you in the final week of your life. But what would you do? Would you praise God with your final words? Your praise will ever be on my lips. Would you tell the people that you love the most, you know, how much you love them, how much they mean to you? Final words carry a significant amount of weight. I was actually just at a funeral not too long ago. One of my uh, dear friends and um, a person who was doing the funeral with me was a, a pastor, a mentor friend of mine. His name was Pastor Todd Cox. And somebody who's poured tremendously into my life. And right before we parted ways, before I would see him again, for who knows how long until I see him again, he pulls me and this one other man in and he says, hey, Justin, get over here. Parker, come over here. And he puts his hands on both of our shoulders and he looks deeply into our eyes and he says, men, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're a good husband. You're a good father. God's doing a good work in your life. And then we parted ways. It was a powerful moment. I want to take the next several weeks, starting here in chapter 12, and we're going to work our way through chapter by chapter, looking at Jesus' final words. And just as I leaned in in that moment where somebody really special to me before we parted ways wanted to impart some very powerful words into my life, so I want us to lean into the texts every single week and let's lean into what God has to say with his final words. If you would, again, John chapter 12, turn with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We have Bibles out in the lobby. And the scripture will be on the screen behind me as well. 
says this in John chapter 12, let's start in verse 6. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one who Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of the Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, one who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. I love how John is completely throwing Judas under the bus here. He holds nothing back. (laughs) He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it, of what was put in it. Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Verse 9, then a large crowd of the Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this text. God, you be the teacher. Empty me of myself, Father, and I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would speak through me the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a little bit of a background into this story is that, again, this is, as we see right in the very beginning of the text, this is the final week of Christ here on this earth. We see that it is six days until the Passover. And what I love that Jesus does here before before he's about to go into just this horrible uh, moment of his life of betrayal and of pain and of agony, he pulls aside to this small little village southeast of two mile, about two miles southeast of Jerusalem, this little town called Bethany. This was Jesus' home away from home. This was his place with his dear friends. And so he's coming to this place where He's with these people that he loves so much and he wants to spend this really quality time with people that he loves and that he knows loves him as well. One thing just on on a background that stands out to me about Jesus is just how relational he is. That he leans into these relationships of his life knowing that it's in these relationships that it helps carry you through the tough times, which I think is a beautiful principle for us as well. We we don't really prioritize, often we don't really prioritize relationships or community until things get hard. Then you look around and you're just like, yeah, I should have probably leaned in more because I desperately need people now. But Jesus is a relational God and he's consistently leaning into relationships true and intimate relationships. It is in this city that Jesus raised his friend, Lazarus, from the dead, as the passage repeats multiple times. The last passage we studied was in John chapter 11, where we actually talked about the instance of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But Bethany, even to this day, is known as the place of Lazarus. 
Al is Zaria. It is the city where Lazarus was raised from the dead. This text can also be found in Matthew 26 and Mark chapter 14. And so a lot of the things that I'm going to be sharing, a lot of the details, I'm going to actually be pulling from the whole uh, Council of Scripture and all of the texts referring to this. So I'll be referencing other details as well, not necessarily just in the book of John. One of those details that we find in the other texts is that this dinner is held at a man named Simon's house. Simon the leper. Don't you like how in the Bible, you know, uh, there's a label attached to everyone? Uh, Lazarus, the one Jesus raised from the dead. Simon, the leper. What would the title next to your name be, you know? I don't think I want to know. Let's just stick with Parker. I like that. And then he's having dinner. So he goes into Simon's house. Simon welcomes him. Simon the leper welcomes him into his home. And so he enjoys this really special dinner with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Simon, and the disciples. And there's some really special things that happen during this dinner that I want to talk about over our next few minutes together. Title of the message is Give the Roses. Give the roses. What does that mean? You have to stick around to the end to find out. And the, the, the big idea, the main uh, thing that I want us to really zero in on in this text is to give what you can while you can. Give the roses. Give what you can while you can. All right, first I want to talk about uh, the division that Jesus creates in all of life. Matthew 10, 34 says, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. In all of life, Jesus creates division. Now, hear me. This is not for the sake of simply disagreement or because he's trying to be uh, contrarian. This is not because He is being disagreeable or because he wants to cause chaos. He is bringing division because you are either for him or you are against him. Anyone that has had an encounter with Jesus makes a decision. He's either a liar or he's Lord. You either surrender to him or you scoff at him. There's either allegiance or alien. Jesus creates division in all areas of life. Even our calendar is divided by Jesus, B.C. and A.D. Divides destiny, heaven, and hell. He he divides what we even know and understand of pure, genuine relationship, love, and hate, faith, and unbelief. And in this passage, what we see so clearly is those that draw closer to Jesus are driven to the divide, which leads to a decision. It's a crossroad. You either honor him or you become hostile towards him. I love how Dr. MacArthur says it this way. True honor to Christ will always bring out the hostility of those that belong to Satan. There's a division. This division, this crossroads, if you will, in your life leads to a decision that we all have to make. And we see this division so clearly in this passage. 
we see honor to Jesus and we see hostility towards Jesus. So let's examine those two responses. First, let's look at the honor to Jesus. And we see this played out in three characters in the story. Four really, but three that we're going to really focus in on. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. First, let's look at Lazarus. We're going to uh, label Lazarus. I'm going to give him my own label. No longer the one who Jesus raised from the dead. I'm going to give him the label of Lazarus, the witness. Lazarus was a... Uh, really good friend to Jesus. And after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, you might say that Lazarus went viral. You know how if none of us really want to go viral because typically when you go viral, you go viral for all the wrong reasons. You, you, you trip off of a stage, you know, something terrible happens and then you go viral for all the wrong reasons. Lazarus went viral for all the right reasons. He went viral because here he is a case study. He's example A. He's the pure evidence of the power and authority of Christ's power. So his life itself, just by merely existing, has become a powerful witness and a powerful testimony of Jesus. He is the one Jesus raised from the dead. And we see this affirmed even towards the end of the passage as we see that Crowds were gathering. People were coming to see this guy. I just kind of placed my eyes on, is this man really alive? So much so that the Jews wanted to kill him again. Can you imagine how ridiculous that is? Christ raised him from the dead with minimal effort. And here they're like, let's take him out again. What do you think is going to happen when you take him out again? Jesus is going to go, he's alive again. Take him out again. He's alive again. Can you imagine Judas going like, oh my goodness, this is heaven, earth, heaven, earth. Just want to leave. Keep me in heaven, Jesus. Keep me in heaven. It's not crazy up there. Um, but what we see that Lazarus offers up to God, and he offers it fully, is his story. This is my testimony. I was dead, and now I'm alive, and here I am. This buried of Christ and raised in his likeness. This is all of our stories. Still today, I was dead. Now I'm alive, example A. What proof do we need? Just take a look at my life. I was hopeless, dead in the tr my sins and dead in my trespasses, but God who is rich in mercy rescued me from myself, rescued me from sin. And now I'm alive in Christ, example A. So they're having this dinner in Simon's house, Simon the leopard. What we know is that though he's labeled Simon the leopard, he couldn't possibly have still been a leopard and been in the home dining with him. And so we have a very interesting dining room experience. Have you ever had a dinner where you're like, there's a lot of interesting people at this table. This is, this is, this is, this is fun. There's a lot we can talk about. Can you imagine being at the dinner table with the man who has been raised from the dead, the man who had been healed from leprosy, Jesus, the Savior of the world, and the disciples. That is one interesting conversation. I would have loved to have been in that room. So here we have Lazarus, the witness, who offered his story. And second, we have Martha. Martha is Martha the worker. 
Martha is known throughout scripture as being the ultimate servant leader. Where you find Martha, you find her hands at work. We see that Martha was offering her hands. Now, Martha gets a lot of bad press, so I want to defend Martha for just a second. You know, if you look back in Luke chapter 10, you'll see that Martha was actually serving while Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he actually somewhat corrects her. He doesn't necessarily say it was bad that she was serving, but he says that Mary chose the right thing. But service is a gift to God. Service to God is honorable. And I, I love that it's mentioned in this text that Martha yet again was found serving. Martha had a heart of service. So with the heart of service, what did Martha give? Her hands for the work of the Lord. It says in Galatians 5.13, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy, satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Wholehearted service is the call to every believer. To give all that you have in service as unto God is a call to every believer. This is not only a call, but it's also um, as a Christ follower to follow in the example of Jesus, it's a call to exemplify Christ. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45. So this is the call. And I, I believe that Martha is a great example of what it looks like to offer your best if your calling and your gifting is service. So here we have Lazarus, the witness, Martha, the worker, and then Mary, the worshiper. Mary gave what she could while she could. She demonstrates her affectionate love for Christ through her generosity towards him and by giving lavishly. So you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Anything that you love, you give to. Would you say this is true? Just take a look at your own life. Anything that you're passionate about, you sacrifice for generously. If you love golf, you sacrifice for golf. If, amen to anybody who golfs. If you love skiing, you sacrifice for skiing. Whatever it is you're passionate about, you give to. Mary was passionate about Jesus. So Mary goes back into her room and she pulls out this alabaster jar full of a a uh, very expensive, very pure perfume called nard. Um, I actually am uh, thinking about coming out with my own line. It's called nard <laughs> perfume. Um, it is uh, beautiful. It's from a, a plant in the Himalayas found in uh, India and China. And uh, I'm selling them for a mere price of $15,000 per 12 uh, for a 16-ounce bottle. This is what, this is the amount that Mary got. She went and said it was for uh, 300 denarii, which would have been a day's wage at that time. Well, let's fast forward to today's time. It could have been anywhere between, you know, 15,000 to, let's just consider your life. I mean, whatever your wage is, consider an almost year's worth of wage of 
fine perfume that you pour on Jesus' head and on his feet. This is the lavish and extravagant gift that Mary gave to Jesus. I mean, 15,000. Hello, that's significant. This actually, I, I wanted to have the fragrance for you here today. I actually did some research to see. I wonder, man, I would have loved to have given you a smell of nard just so that you could have, that doesn't sound good, you know? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a sweet aroma that you would want to just, you know, sniff on during the service. But I did some research and you can actually go get spiked nard uh, that is from um uh, uh, India down at Rebecca's Herbal Shop. If you want to just, you know, I wonder what this smells like. Uh, you can go get you some for a mere $222 per ounce. Also why I did not go get nard. <laughs> yes, uh -huh, yeah, 100, 100 denari uh, would be about $15,000 based on today's minimum wage. This was extravagant, to say the least, that Mary gave a significant portion of her life. Some might even say this was uh, an, an inheritance of hers. But she gave what she could while she could. Now, I think what's important to note is not the uh, portion of what she gave, but the proportion of what she gave. And I think that's true of us today. You might say, well, good for Mary. I don't have $15,000. And I don't have a pound of nard. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that she gave what she could give. And I think that's the question that we need to wrestle with today as well. Are we giving all we can give while there's still time to give it? Or are we holding back from God? God references this deed that she did, did for him as the good work. This is a good work. It's public. It's extravagant. It almost seems a little reckless. And I believe it's a beautiful example that we can learn from. When you know how good God has been to you, how could we not? The question isn't necessarily even should we or could we, it's how can we not if you know Jesus? This almost seems like a bare minimum, even as lavish as it is for what Christ has done for us. And Mark 14 is giving this beautiful picture that here you have all of these people seated around a dinner table. And this just, this just sounds like an amazing dinner. I just would love to have been in the room. They're swapping stories. Man, what was it like in heaven in a perfect body and then coming back with that arthritic knee? You know, I mean, <laughs> they're swapping stories. And, and, and then all of a sudden, here comes Mary smashing a jar on the ground and just pouring this oil all over Jesus' head, washing down all the way to her feet. She falls on her knees. She throws her hair down, and she starts to wipe the perfume off of her feet. Something just radical, something women did not do in that day, just this humble posture, just, just throwing all of her glory down at the feet of God, giving the best that she can. It's a beautiful picture. This is an act of worship. 
Her act of worship brought fragrance all over the house, a lasting fragrance all over the room, and it filled the space. But the blessing of that act has spread all around the world. It says in Matthew 26, 13, it says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Isn't that fascinating? That this radical act of generosity, here we are for 2,000 years later, still talking about it as we talk about the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Still talking about this deed. This was an everlasting memorial. This act of worship and this act of love ripples from Bethany 2,000 years ago to Boulder, Colorado, here in our present day. Mary, we know a lot of Marys. <clears throat> Why? Well, one, it's a great name, but two, it's an honorable name. But have you ever met a Judas? No, his name is synonymous with <laughs> treachery. It's literally a word that we use in common language when somebody does some treacherous work against you, Judas. <laughs> Proverbs 10, 7, the remembrance of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Ecclesiastes says, a good name is better than fine perfume. And Mary had both. One thing that I love about her generosity and one thing that I feel challenged in even in my generosity is that at the end of your life, you can't take it with you. Nobody ever dies and on the other side says, I'm glad that I have all of this sitting in the bank. I'm glad that I have maintained this wealth. Can't take it with you. Matthew 6, 19 says, Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the reason that I said that Mary was the worshiper is here we see Mary giving her heart. <clears throat> she offered her heart. The money wasn't in her heart. <clears throat> her wealth wasn't in her heart. It was in her hands. I think the issue is when the wealth gets in our hearts and becomes our God. All three offered what they had, the best that they had while they could. And they did it all for the glory of God. Whether it is your witness, your work, or your worship, I believe that God is calling us to give all three generously. I was thinking, what was it about this family that Jesus loved so much? These are people that obviously loved him and he loved them, but could there be something bigger? I was thinking, I think Jesus loved them because this family represented so much of what it means to be the body of Christ. This is what we're called to. We're all called to be a witness. We're all called to be a worker and we are all called to be worshipers of him. And then finally, hostility against Jesus. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Uh, 
Seems noble, doesn't it? Why lavish this all over Jesus when you could have sold it and give it to the poor? It seems so noble that he got the backing of the rest of the disciples to say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Why did she just do this? Here, Jesus, or Judas, the, the betrayer, the apostate, we see Judas, the thief, miss the point of worship. Here we see the, uh, the division of the devotion of Jesus and the disgrace of Judas. Meaning of disgrace is a loss of reputation and respect, especially as a result of dishonorable actions. And it refers to bringing shame upon others. We see the devotion of Mary and the disgrace of Judas. Dr. MacArthur also says this. He says, Judas knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. These are Judas's first words in Scripture. Why lavish this on Jesus when you could have given it to the poor? And then in Matthew 27, we see his final words where he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. Here he's wondering why Mary would offer all that she has a year's wage in generosity for Jesus, but for four months of wage, 30 pieces of silver, he betrays Jesus. This is how sin manipulates worship and truth in our minds. This is the result of sin. It dishonors, it's greedy, it's hypocritical. And it brings poison in every moment. It went from just this most beautiful dinner with friends and loved ones, and they're sharing this moment where she is anointing Jesus, as Jesus would reference in preparation for his burial. And, there you ha- and then you have this toxic person on the scene saying, what a waste. <clears throat> and therefore, Mary is misunderstood. <clears throat> she's not only misunderstood, but she's reprimanded by other people in the room. Like, how, how dare you do this? But what does Jesus do in return? How does Jesus respond? He says, leave her alone. Man, that, that, just that line alone comforts my heart. Have you ever been misunderstood for being radical towards your love and affection towards Christ? Why would, you, why would you go there? Why would you use your gifts to serve there? You, you're so talented. You could do so much in the marketplace. You could do so much in business, so much in the world. Why would you waste your talents on the church? Why would you waste your talents giving it to God? Why would you tithe? Don't you know that if you put that in a Roth IRA each year, compounded interest, that would be that would be enough for you to live on a lifetime if you didn't just blow it on that. Why not just give it to the poor? There's misunderstanding always when you step out in radical faith to follow the call of Jesus in your life and to live a life of generosity towards Christ. Always a misunderstanding. There's always a division. But remember this. That no matter what may come against you, no matter who may come against you, Jesus, when he is receiving the worship, 
when he's receiving the work, when he's receiving the honor and the glory, he steps in and says, leave him alone. Leave her alone. This is a good work. Jesus is our defender. He both commends her and says, this is a good work. And then he defends her and says, leave her alone. And this is God's love towards us as worshipers of him. Hey, good job. Keep going. Stay on the mission. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then when opposition comes, he says, no, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. She humbled herself at the feet of Jesus. And she gave all that he had. She had in Judas, prideful, boasted in himself, and it led to death. This, is, this, this passage is beautiful because this is, uh, I love starting here in this passage because this is a, a prophetic declaration of what is to come, preparing his uh, body for his time of death and, and burial. The Jesus, uh, the, the word Messiah means anointed one. The word even Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed one. This was Jesus anointing as he is beginning Holy Week on his way to the cross. He is the anointed one. And what an honor for Mary. Man, what an honor for Mary to begin this moment by anointing Jesus. It says, the large crowd of Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. In this moment, you see a great divide. You see one lean even further, and this is true of the closer you get to Christ, there's a, a decision to be made. And this is the invitation for today. Draw near to Christ, make a decision. One way leads to life, leads to abundance, leads to worship. It's the honor and glory to Christ. The other leads to death. You're like, well, I, just because I reject Jesus doesn't mean I'm wanting to go kill anybody. This is the progression of sin and evil in the world. I'm not saying that you are. But what I am saying is that sin left on its own, sin pursued ultimately and always equals death. Always. Like, how could their hatred be so bad that they... That if you read in the Matthew and the Mark account of the gospel, what you'll see right after this text is G Judas leaves this moment, having been rebuked by Jesus. He leaves this moment, and, it, and what you see in the text is he goes and he turns Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver. Death. Then you see here, the chief priests immediately turn, and they say, this is spreading too quickly. Let's kill Lazarus. Sin equals death. And they were so driven by hate and overcome by sin, that they were ready to kill. My invitation for you today is to choose life. It says in Romans 5 but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he stood in the gap and he paid the penalty. He paid the death that was owed to us. He was our atoning sacrifice. 
and that through him we may have life. Mary gave the roses. She chose the right path. What do I mean by give the roses? If you're in, let's say, a relationship with someone, or let's say you have a spouse, and let's say you pass away. At a funeral, there are roses that are delivered. And these roses are symbolic twofold. One is to show kind of a condolence of the one that had passed. But it's also to show a love and regard for those that have yet remained to say there are still people that love you and that care for you. But I, I think too often as it relates to Jesus, we, we save our roses to the end. We don't necessarily show all of our love and our affection to him until maybe it's too late. Well, I'll serve him and I'll give my work after this really busy season of my life. I'll give my wealth and my resources after I have saved enough that I think I can live comfortably on for the rest of my life. Then I will give. You're wanting to give the roses after the funeral. What if instead, like Mary, we give them before the funeral? We give all that we have unto God. All that we have unto God. C.T. Stud said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How to live this out practically. Give as an act of worship. Give extravagantly. And keep giving even in the midst of criticism. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.